Some words from the book of Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. A popular hymn we often sing at church is, Great is thy faithfulness. We praise God for his steadfast, unchanging nature as witnessed in the regularities of the days and the seasons, the promise of forgiveness, peace, strength, bright hope for what lies ahead. But I wonder if you can tell me where those words come from. Great is thy faithfulness. They're from a book in our Old Testament called Lamentations. And if I'm honest, it's not part of the Bible that we turn to that much. Because it's rather well named. Beloved as the hymn might be, those words are pretty much the one flicker of light in a fairly bleak book. They come from a time when everything seems completely and utterly lost and there's no way back. It's one of a number of parts of the Bible which surprise me that they're even there. Ecclesiastes is another one with its repeated refrain of meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Parts of it at best sound quite agnostic. Yet somewhere along the way, it came to be considered sacred. Likewise, if you were to compare the book of Psalms to a modern day hymn book, what might surprise you is that one of the larger sections of the Psalms is called laments. Some of them personal, outlining struggles in the writer's own life and experience, sickness, struggle, oppression, opposition. Others are more communal about the life of the whole community. That's an aspect that's 
often lacking in modern faith. And I include myself in that. I mean, when I plan services, I don't really want people leaving church on a right diner any more than anyone else. But if we're not careful, we can create a very shallow faith. That we are there to sing happy, happy songs, however we're feeling. A number of times I've heard people encourage us to leave our troubles at the door as we come into worship. And I kind of know what they mean. But it can create the impression that God's not really interested in all the bad stuff. Whereas really what we need to be doing is to invite God into the midst of those situations and allow them to be put into their proper perspective in worship. I can remember one occasion, oh, it was the morning of the after the terror attacks at London Bridge. I was walking into church and I was aware that the first song we were due to sing that morning was, this is the day that the Lord has made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. And there isn't really a reason why we shouldn't sing those words. There's a certain defiance in the face of what we were going through to sing and to rejoice. But I just couldn't bring myself. I was not there at that point that morning when my city was in shock and in mourning. We've been thinking a lot about waiting over the last couple of weeks. But waiting can come in many forms. There's an excited waiting. On Sunday, I showed a picture of my great nephews excitedly waiting for Christmas. Or there's a frustrating kind of waiting when that website loads very slowly. When you're stuck in a queue being told, your call is very important to us. When a trespasser on the line causes delays on the tube. But other times, waiting's painful. When we're in pain and waiting for an operation. When we're waiting for news of a loved one. When we've tried for job after job and we're waiting for even an acknowledgement that never comes. When we long for justice in an issue which is in the news or affects us personally. Christian faith shouldn't run from that. It shouldn't belittle it. In many ways, faith in a good, loving God brings it more sharply into focus. I mean, if, we're, if there's no God and we're just at the mercy of chance, suffering doesn't really hold any mystery. We can be sad about the way it is, but it's not a mystery. It's just the way it is. But when you introduce a good, loving God into the equation, you're left with a challenge of, well, why is it like that? It certainly can't be as a good God intended. And that's actually one of the oldest faith questions we have. 
One of the earliest parts of our Bible to be written was the book of Job. And it concerns a guy who's as good as it can possibly be and yet loses everything. And we've lived with the mystery and tension of pain and suffering and groaning for thousands of years. And it is painful. In today's passage from Romans, Paul talks about us groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Those of you who are mothers don't need me mansplaining that to you. Paul says that's where our world is and has been. It's a world in bondage longing for freedom. And at Advent we talk a lot about hope. But the reason we hope is that we do not yet possess what God has promised. You don't hope for what you already have. You might not even be able to see quite how it's going to work out. God's promise of the renewal, the restoration, the reconciliation of all things. It might be a sure and certain hope. Because God's faithful. But we're still waiting. And in the meantime, creation groans. And we groan right alongside it. We don't need it to be a moany kind of grumbling. But nor do we need to deny the struggle. Lament the lies to bring our pain, our frustration, our doubt and questioning to God. Knowing that he can handle it. As a matter of fact, rather than turning us away, when we bring it to God, the Spirit gets right down on his knees beside us and prays with us. In lament, we acknowledge that this world is not as we would have it be. And certainly it's not as a good, loving God would want it to be. But we can bring those questions to God. Indeed, any healthy relationship requires that kind of honesty. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, real prayer is about being open about the negatives and yielding them to God. They're never yielded unless they're fully expressed. And you can do that in all sorts of ways, through poetry, song, art, prayer. You might write a letter to God. You might just shout at him. The important thing is that we do bring them to God. Otherwise they stand in the way of true intimate relationship. Whatever you bring, God is big enough to handle it. He's not shocked by it. He knows it all already. So for some, Advent will be a time of excited waiting. For others, it will be nervous or frustrating. But for some of us, it will be painful. And Christmas can, some, for some, be the most painful time of all. 
But whatever we bring, know that you can bring it to God. Know that you won't be turned away. It'll be welcomed. He is listening. He will respond. Because his mercies are new each morning. And great is his faithfulness. Grace and peace to you. Amen.